When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, this is Jeremiah Latimo, and this is Gates of Perception. The totality of the universe is it's just perception. And uh, it's how we perceive things. And uh, there are no facts, only interpretations. The, the psychical events are facts, are realities. And when you observe the stream of images within, you observe an aspect of the world of the world within. And so, you see, the man who is going by the external world, by the influences of the external world, say, society or perceptions, sense perceptions, thinks that he, he is more valid. Don't relate yourself to any person, anything, any idea. Tell me. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If this is your first time, welcome. Thank you for joining me and allowing me to be a part of your day. So today I want this episode to feel like a guide on how to go no contact with a toxic family member. So this guide has been my own personal guide that I've been using for quite some time. And I realized that I needed to activate it a couple of weeks ago when I went back home to Atlanta to visit my family. And I was visiting my family because I am leaving the country. I'm no longer going to be living in the States. And I wanted to be with my siblings and see them. And at the same time, I had some things that I need to share with my parents in a way to make sure my younger sisters were safe. So there are a lot of toxic dynamics within my family and a lot of abusive behavior. So I came by to also talk about that abusive behavior and to let them know that I wasn't okay with it and just calling it out and making sure my sister's protection and safety was prioritized. So this brought up a lot of big emotions inside of me because the man that raised me that stepped in when my father abandoned our family, he was very abusive and violent towards me and my siblings throughout our childhood. And I haven't spoken to him in four years. So I had already gone no contact with him for the last four years, but I knew I needed to come back and sit down and talk to him one-on-one and have a very difficult conversation with him and just kind of place some boundaries around certain things and to 
just communicate that as effectively, as respectfully, and also at the same time, uh, as, as empowered as I could. And I was already anticipating his reactions and how that would lead me to feel. And just the anticipation of his reactions was kind of leading me to deviate from the idea in itself. Like, you don't have to do this. Why are you doing this? Are you being overprotective? Are you you're doing too much right now? I started to spiral into all of these thoughts and doubts. And as I moved through that wave and had the conversation with him that night a couple of weeks ago, I went through all of those waves of emotions, those big, big, uncomfortable feelings inside of my body of feeling rage, feeling triggered, feeling like I wanted to scream at him because he hasn't changed. He was still using the same tactics that he used when I was a child. He was still verbally abusing me throughout the conversation in the way he did uh, when I was a child. So I had to move through that wave and find a way for myself to still feel empowered, to still be respectful, and to still be direct and assertive about what I was talking about. And through that, I discovered so much about myself and my own strength. But I couldn't help but to notice how much anxiety built up inside of me throughout that conversation. And it was a little bit easier to move through those waves of anxiety because it's not like in my relationships where I am confused about whether this is happening now or this is coming from my past, whether I'm upset about something they're saying directly to me, or is it about the thing that they're saying that reminds me of an experience from my childhood? Talking to my dad, I was completely aware that this is not me misinterpreting the present moment. I knew for a fact that this person was the one that programmed me to relate to my emotions in this way, right? So I was more direct, but I was more present with my own body because I wasn't, I wasn't doubting what I was feeling. I knew. I knew that, oh, this is coming up because this happened. This is coming up because this happened. This is coming up because he used to say this to you in this way, right? So I was able to breathe through those moments and and breathe through those emotions a bit more uh, gracefully. And the conversation ended as best as it could. And the boundaries were enforced and they were also respected. And so that's all I needed. And from there, I had realized, you know, after speaking with him that, wow, like I'm never going to talk to this guy again. Like we're never speaking again. And I remember even in my four year, no contact with him, I remember having this wave of ideas that came through. And one of them was like, you know, he's going to die alone. I remember having dreams, seeing him on his deathbed and nobody was around. And I remember throughout those dreams that I would have this wave of compassion flood me. And that wave of compassion led me to be like, oh my God, like I've healed so much that I don't need to like not speak to him anymore. Like if he gets to that point, I'll be there. Like I'll help him out. I'll support him in the way that he supported me. I'll sacrifice, you know, in the way that he sacrificed for me. So I was flooded with this wave of compassion and I moved through that wave and it was in contact in seeing him that I realized that that 
is never going to be something I will ever consider again. And so I want to talk about why this is actually the most healing and empowering decision I could ever make for myself. And that if you are in a specific situation or similar situation with one of your parents or even family members, why this could also be the most healing and empowering decision you could make for yourself and when and how to go about that. So let's get into it. So no contact is just a self-protective strategy that you use to protect yourself, protect your energy, protect your time, protect your inner child. When you are in relationship to somebody that may be abusive, uh, maybe very manipulating, maybe emotionally draining to be around or financially abusing you in some shape or form. And so the no contact is a strategy for you to essentially protect yourself from that level of physical, emotional, or financial abuse. So often we talk about no contact only when it comes to toxic exes. But when it comes to family members, there is a taboo around going no contact with your family. And so let's talk about that layer of it first before we jump into anything else. So as children, we see our parents as proof of perfection in some shape or form as children. And that means that when they tell us that this is the right thing to do, we believe them. When they tell us this is the wrong thing to do, we believe them. That's why when we grow up, all of the things that they've told us, the messaging that we received becomes internalized and we still believe it today in some shape or form. It's because as children, we kind of idolize them, glorify them and place them on this pedestal because they are our parents. It's only until we become teens that we start to develop this ability to have some level of discernment and look at them and notice their shortcomings, their flaws, their weaknesses, and even the flaws in their parenting. But most parents don't really see us as individuals. They see us as extensions of themselves. So when our parents see us as extensions of themselves, they will be upset when we start to establish ourselves as individuals. So what that looks like is kind of reminding us that they know better, that they are the parent here, that they have more experience than us when we're trying to assert our own needs or our own boundaries or just our own view of the world. But that voice that steps in, right? If it's our mothers or it's our fathers that steps in and says, wait, I know better. I'm your mother. Listen to what I have to say, right? Forget what you're talking about and kind of respect and honor what I'm saying right now. That voice actually still follows us into adulthood and it becomes a part of our internal dialogue and it makes up our inner conflict, right? Those decisions that we have where it's like, ah, I know this is the best thing to do, but something else is pulling me this way. Oftentimes, if we tune into that voice, And we ask ourselves, whose voice do I hear? We'll often notice that there is another voice within our own voice that may be our mothers, that may be our fathers, maybe our brothers or sisters or an influencer or somebody that we really are inspired by, right? But most often we will find that our mother or our father's voice is a part of that dialogue. So this is actually the reason that 
going no contact with your family members, especially your parents, is so taboo, is so looked down upon, is because majority of people have this voice still running. So they never actually get to the point where they say to themselves, you know what, my mother is very abusive and she really embodies these narcissistic tendencies. I think the safest thing to do is to not speak to her as often as I do, right? Or maybe not speak to her at all, right? So most people don't get to that place of self-love, right? So what that looks like as a cultural approach to relating to our families is this unreasonable sense of loyalty to them, which is just allowing them to continue to abuse us in covert and overt ways as adults, right? And then looking at anyone else that says, I don't want to engage with my family anymore. These people are toxic, right? It's, it's, it's hurting my mental health. Those individuals are frowned upon because they embody a level of courage and strength that most people don't have. So this is why we have this cultural stigma around going no contact with our family members because everyone will look at you and say, but she's your mom, right? And you only get one mom. Your mom's still alive. You have to, you have to be there for her. You have to preserve that relationship. She could die at any moment, right? Tomorrow is not promised. So we have these kind of statements that police us back into this unreasonable sense of loyalty to our mothers or our fathers, right? So it's very obvious that our culture does not promote self-love, even though it's written in everything, but it's the moment where somebody actually chooses to love themselves to protect themselves, to be compassionate towards themselves, where everyone is like, whoa, what are you doing, bro? Like, what? But we want people to love themselves. And when they make the choice to actually love themselves, to actually become empowered and do the healthiest thing they can for themselves, we don't encourage it. Actually choose to guilt trip them and shame them. So please, please, when you are considering this decision, if you have been considering this decision, release and let go of that shame. Release and let go of that guilt. It is not yours to carry. People will always project onto you what they cannot face within themselves, right? So if you're a person that's considering going no contact with their family member and that voice starts to play inside of you, recognize that you live in a world where most people can't make that decision for themselves. So they will project right? Onto you. It makes sense, right? Because you, your choice, your courageous decision brings them, brings them to the place inside themselves that knows that they could never do something like that. Even though they want to, even though they can see that that would actually be the most healthy thing for them, they know for themselves that they can't get there. They will never make that decision for themselves because guilt is too strong. The guilt will eat them alive. So please, please, before we begin this conversation, just recognize that before we go into anything else. So no contact isn't some magical pill for healing. Even if you cut off an ex tomorrow and never speak to him again or never speak to her again, you'll still have to face yourself. 
you'll still have to take responsibility for how you showed up in the relationship, right? It's not, oh, I won't hear from them again and I won't have to worry about speaking to them again. Now I'm healed. Now I'm okay. It's like, no, now the shit really begins. Now the healing really begins, right? Because they're no longer distracting you from the things that you don't want to face within yourself, from the difficult and uncomfortable emotions that you continue to avoid because they're not there to distract you. They're not there to bring more drama into your life. You're sitting with yourself now, right? There's this space of silence and stillness. And in that space of silence and stillness is when you can really hear the things you don't want to listen to, is when you can really hear the truth, right? But we but we surround ourselves with distractions because we don't want to really hear the truth, right? We don't really want to see the truth of who we are and how we showed up in a relationship or how we're showing up in our lives. So don't misunderstand anything that I'm saying throughout this conversation. No contact is not a magic pill for healing. It's actually a doorway into accelerated healing. It allows you to actually accelerate your healing. So when do you know for yourself it's time to explore no contact or low contact? So low contact is just a step below no contact where you just minimize the shit out of communication. So you may talk to that person once a month or only on specific occasions, but you minimize communication as much as you can. So when do you know it's time to make either of these decisions for yourself is when you can look honestly at your relationship with your mother or your father or your older brother or your older sister, whoever it is, and actually acknowledge what is it costing you to maintain that relationship? Like, what is the price you're paying when you continue to engage with this person, when you reach out to them, when you maintain the connection, when you spend time with them? What is that costing you? And is the price of what that's costing you, does that equate to what you're receiving from that relationship? So you have to really be honest about how do you feel when you're around this person, right? What are the positive things that you're getting from this relationship? And are those positive things outweighing the negative experiences you have? Are you constantly in a state of anxiety when you're around them? Do you have to drag yourself to go hang out with them, to answer the phone, to go talk to them, to text them and say, hey, I hope you're doing well, or to even just text them back? Do you feel yourself dragging yourself to do those things, pushing yourself outside of your limits just to engage with them? So if you can be honest about that and recognize that most of your interactions leaves you in a state of more anxiety, feeling more triggered, feeling less sure about yourself, feeling less confident, right? And less happy about what's going on in your life or or who you are, right? Just re-traumatizing yourself on some level, right? If you can honestly say, if if you can just acknowledge and look at that fact alone, right? You know that something needs to change and you possibly could really benefit from reducing contact with this person. So one of the ways that I also recognize for myself that the no contact strategy was the best thing to, was the best decision to make when it came to the relationship with my dad 
was because that I also acknowledged the fact that he has not changed. Like there are some people that actually make small changes in their behaviors and they're, you can recognize them. You can be like, you know, this thing is still here, but this person is actually making a lot of progress. They have a different mindset. Their attitude is different, right? And I had to be honest and look at my dad and say, yo, this guy is literally the fucking same. Like his mindset hasn't changed. His attitude towards these conversations hasn't changed. And it shows when he's met with a difficult conversation or somebody is enforcing a boundary or somebody's speaking up about their needs, which was my case. You know, like I remember coming to the house and I hadn't seen him in four years. And instead of being grateful and be like, wow, you know, my, my son is home. Like, you know, I'm happy to see him. He came with this aggressive, hostile, and just toxic energy towards me. And I had to move through that and soothe myself through that. But even throughout the conversation we were having, he was still embodying these qualities. And I know for myself, based on the interactions that I've had with my siblings about what was going on in the home, that these things are still happening. They may be happening in subtle forms and even at times, even very obvious and direct ways. But it let me know that this person hasn't changed and they're not making any progress towards changing. It's different when somebody says, you know what? I take responsibility. I wasn't at that time of my life. I didn't show up in the ways that you needed me to, right? There's some kind of acknowledgement, but you can also understand that you know, healing from that or changing those patterns is a gradual and deep and long process, right? But the acknowledgement and the acceptance and the openness to hearing you out actually is what says, oh, there's something different about this person, right? I do not see that in my dad, right? So I had to be honest about that. Why would I extend myself in this way, extend my compassion so hard for this person, right? When they're not making any steps towards that, they're not making any steps to meet me there. I have to be honest about that and acknowledge that. But what often happens in that space, especially when it comes to our parents, is that we can immediately run to the part of ourselves that can be compassionate towards them, right? Because we have this understanding of their trauma responses, especially if we're in the healing journey, we can understand that, oh, this behavior comes from this experience or this person did that because they were traumatized in this way. And I also have that same understanding. I understand that my mom and my dad were raised in Africa during a genocide, a lot of civil wars, and they lost a lot of their siblings throughout that period, right? I understand how traumatic that could be. I understand the CPTSD that could create in somebody, the anxiety, the tendency to want to control your environment at all times, and even the hostility and the violence that could arise inside of you as a result of that experience. I understand it completely. The difference is, for me, is that I don't allow my compassion for them to override the compassion I have for myself. Because I understand that I too was deeply traumatized by their inability to acknowledge and confront their own trauma, right? 
I, as a child, lost complete confidence in my own gifts. I lost complete confidence in myself. I felt there was something wrong with my body. I didn't even want to be here on earth anymore. And that was in light of the trauma that I was experiencing. So when I have compassion for myself, I acknowledge the magnitude of pain that I went through. And that understanding doesn't allow me to place all of my compassion towards them and invalidate my own experience. It's this thing that me and my partner were talking about the other day. It's about being able to hold these different paradoxes to where I can see that my father was deeply traumatized. And then I can also acknowledge the fact that he became abusive and very violent and a tyrant because of that trauma, rather than using it to invalidate the fact that he was still an abusive father, right? And acknowledging the fact that I was abused in that process, like being able to maintain and hold each of these because they don't negate or contradict one another, right? My father going through a traumatic experience in Africa and then becoming an abusive father doesn't negate the fact that he went through a lot. Knowing my father had a very traumatic childhood doesn't negate the fact that because he didn't sit with that trauma, because he didn't process those experiences, I was then deeply traumatized throughout my childhood, right? They don't cancel each other out and they both can coexist, right? I can hold both of them. So often on our healing journeys, we immediately rushed to forgiveness, right? We were like, oh my God, this person went through so much. I can't believe that I would consider even not speaking to them anymore, right? And it's a cultural thing as well. It's because we, we overpraise and overglorify those that can forgive, right? And then we shame the people that actually acknowledge the truth and the depths of their own pain, that own their fucking anger, right? And that own their fucking grief and say, wow, through acknowledging this grief, through acknowledging this anger, I don't want to speak to you again. Those people are kind of vilified and shamed on some level in our culture. But what we're doing here is about acknowledging the courage that actually fucking takes, right? It actually doesn't take much to just prematurely forgive somebody and say, oh my God, they went through so much, I need to forgive them. It doesn't take much. It's not even authentic. It's not even genuine. It's premature. You haven't even gone through the full process. You jumped six steps and then you chose to forgive. That is not actually going through the process. To go through the process, you would actually have to acknowledge the anger, feel the grief, sit through the discomfort of the guilt you will feel when you acknowledge your authentic feelings towards your parents, right? This is the process. Forgiveness is not the first step. We have to realize how often we run to these compassionate ways of relating to our parents when we've been deeply fucking traumatized. If you were talking to your best friend and they told you the level of pain they've been through with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, you would tell them, why are you still speaking to them? Why are you still in contact with them? Right? Are you living with them? No. Oh my God. Let's get you some support. 
That's how you would respond to somebody that you know, your close friend that has went through deep layers of trauma and abuse and manipulation, right? Throughout their relationship. Yet, we can have that same reaction and response to our parents who have even more than our partners traumatize us, right? They actually set us up for these relationships. And they're still traumatizing us today. If you have parents that aren't committed to doing the work on themselves, they're probably still traumatizing you and re-traumatizing you on some level today, right? But why can't we muster the courage? Why can't we fathom the thought of going no contact when we can easily look at somebody in our lives that is going through an abusive relationship and encourage them and applaud them to say, man, cut that dude off. Why are you speaking to her? Right? We can support them and give them all the praise. But we can't do that with our parents. So it's only when you go no contact or even low contact, can you actually give yourself the space to fully process the grief of losing out on your childhood because you were forced to take responsibility for your parents, right? You were forced to take responsibility for their emotions and their needs. You were trained to believe that their pain meant your responsibility. And you lost so much when you believed that. So why not today make the conscious choice to have the compassion for yourself that your parents did not have for you, to show up for yourself in the ways in which they didn't show up for you, to show yourself the kindness that you desperately needed from them, to protect your inner child in the way they didn't protect your child's self. You have to make the choice to choose yourself this time. So one of the things to expect is the activation of your codependent pattern that is strengthened within your relationship with your parents. And the reason I say this is that let's say you go no contact today, right? There is a part of you that will be tested again. And that part of you is going to be when you hear that the possibility of them dying is now a reality. That will be the next time, if you choose to go no contact today, that will be the next time you will face this decision again, right? Because it's not something that you do just once. It's a choice you're going to be invited to make every day of your life, right? And the hardest time to make that decision is when you recognize that wait, this person is not going to physically be here anymore. And oftentimes people get pulled into their old patterns when they recognize this, right? Oh, my father has cancer. Oh, my mother has leukemia. Oh my God. And what happens is the guilt takes over. The guilt overrides your empowered decisions. The guilt overrides your authentic feelings towards that person. Because it's to say that if I still maintain this boundary, if I still maintain how I'm viewing this relationship and how I want to continue to approach it, if I maintain that, am I a good person? 
right? There's this question that we have to ourselves. It's subtle, but we always ask ourselves, am I a good person? And being a good person means that we're worthy of love, right? So it really just comes down, am I, am I being lovable in this moment? If I make the decision to not run to their side, to not hold them in their pain, am I worthy of love in that decision, in that choice? Even though I feel very loving towards myself, will I be seen as loving? Will I be seen as kind? Will I be seen as a good person? This is something that you're going to have to confront maybe earlier than later because most people don't make it through that level of this initiation because it is an initiation. And it's about initiating yourself into recognizing and embodying your unbreakable wholeness. So part of that initiation is going to be learning how to honor other people's stories and sovereignty, right? So your mother or your father could have a story where they learn the consequences of their actions, right? And so maybe for them, they learn what responsibility really means, what it means to be responsible for a child, what it means to be responsible for your emotions, what it means to uh, learn what humility is, right? And the only way they can learn that lesson is if their children don't contact them anymore. And that's the only way they can ever realize that, right? If they're faced with the consequences of their decisions, and that consequence has to be very, very aggressive for them to wake the fuck up, right? But as children, we think we know better. So we try to disrupt that journey. We try to disrupt that lesson, right? That integration. And we say, no, 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 mom, you don't have to go through that. You don't have to go through that pain. I got you. I'm here. I'm going to be here with you, right? In your final days, in your last weeks, or you you fell down the stairs or whatever it is, I'm going to rush towards you. And it's like, wait, throughout this interaction, I feel very anxious. I feel like I'm out of my body. I feel like I'm not acknowledging how I'm pushing myself beyond my limits, right? So don't go there. Don't do that. Actually, Walk yourself through these worst case scenarios so that you can learn how to soothe yourself through these stressful situations that will naturally arise, especially if your parents are still in your life, right? Especially if they're approaching old age. These moments will come up. So it's about embracing your, it's about bracing yourself for these experiences by learning how to soothe yourself through guilt and shame. Most of us are blocked out from making empowered decisions because once guilt and shame make an appearance, we completely abandon ourselves and we completely abandon our own needs and boundaries, right? Because we don't know how to sit with these emotions. We don't know how to soothe through them. So it's about developing practices and processes to be able to move through those emotions. Because one thing that the guilt and the shame will actually inform us of if we don't try to protect ourselves from it, is that when we try to enforce a boundary as a child or as a teenager, when we try to make an empowered decision or to be honest about our own needs, we were guilt-tripped and shamed for it. So this is why when we do that, our body naturally responds to what has actually happened to us before 
when we attempted this, right? So you can't actually see that shit until you stop protecting yourself from guilt and shame. And actually, wait, I'm feeling guilt and shame right now. Where have I known this before? Oh, my parents used to guilt and shame me for this shit. That makes sense why I would have a hard time speaking, right? Speaking to other people about how I feel. Enforcing my boundaries, right? That makes sense. But it also makes all the more sense why I need to continue sharing what my boundaries are, what my needs are, right? That would make the most obvious sense because it means that, hey, I've already seen what happens to me when I don't do this, right? I have already seen what that looks like. I've already seen what that reality is. I've seen what my relationships look like, right? But what is the other path when I don't allow guilt to take over and enter into a people-pleasing pattern, right? What does my life look like from there? What does my relationships look like from there? You know what? I've never actually done that. I never did it, right? I never maintained that. I've, and I wasn't even consistent in it. I did it once in a blue moon. But what if I'm consistent in it? What will happen to my life? What will happen to my relationships? Can I be curious about that? Can I be curious about that path, right? Can I be curious about that version of me rather than being afraid of them? Because they don't subscribe to my fears. So don't confuse what I just mentioned earlier. There will be a time in your life when no contact shifts to low contact or low contact shifts to contact, right? And each person is unique, right? Each person's journey is unique. So there will be a time where you will need to speak to them where you will need to engage with them or you feel safe to engage with them, right? Because you have stabilized yourself. You have been there for yourself and you know what it looks like when you're not doing that, right? So now you've become stable. You know what it feels like when you dishonor your own boundaries. You know what it feels like when you're not protecting your inner child. You know what it feels like when you're invalidating your own pain, right? So when now, when you engage with your family members, if it's your mother, your father, any siblings of yours, you know for yourself what that pain feels like, right? So now you can stop it. So now when you engage with them, let's say two years later, two months later, whatever it is, you are tuned to the cues of your body when you're doing any of those things, right? So when that person goes out of line, you know how to enforce that boundary. You know how not to be overrided by your guilt. You're stern, you're stable, you're solid in yourself. So now you can engage. So there may be a time in your life where you will actually need to engage. But what I'm talking about is stabilizing yourself, becoming solid in who you are, restoring your self-esteem, feeling the love and the gratitude that you have for yourself and who you are and the beauty of your journey, becoming the source of safety for yourself again right? And then engaging if you choose to, from that place of empowerment, choose to engage. You know for yourself, I will be here for me if anything goes wrong, right? That's where you want to be. That's from the place that you want to make decisions. That's the place where you want to connect with other people. So the last thing I will say is if you do choose to make this decision to go no contact at any point in your journey, 
be very, very careful with who you contact and communicate this with, right? Have very, very strict boundaries around who you connect and engage with or who you speak to about this decision or who you receive support from about this decision. Because as I mentioned earlier, people will project onto you their own fears and their own incapacities to embody the courage you're embodying right now. So you have to keep that in mind and only surround yourself with people that you know are going to be supportive, that you know are going to encourage you to do that, right? Then that you know are going to hear and see you. Because imagine if you have an abusive boyfriend or girlfriend, right? And your friends around you and saying, wow, why, why do you want to leave them? Are you serious, man? All that money that they make, that, that big house that you guys have, why, why would you leave them? And you're telling them about your pain, like your abuse you're experiencing, right? And they're trying to steer you away from making that decision. Those are people that you don't want to share your experience with is what I'm saying. Because they will perpetuate the voice of doubt within you that naturally arises when you make empowered decisions. But you don't want to lean into the doubt because you have to understand that you're walking on a fine, thin line, right? And at any point, any thrust of wind can blow you back to the other side, right? You can fall at any point and spiral back into your old patterns and behaviors and ways of relating to your family. So you're walking this thin line. So you need nothing but praise, encouragement, safety, belonging, right? In order to get through that other side and become stable and solid in who you are again. So be very, very, very intentional with who you speak to when you're coming to these kind of decisions, when you're choosing to make these decisions for yourself, or even just exploring the thought of it. And if you have people that you know in your life has, have already made this decision, connect with them. Ask them about their experience. Ask them about the th- things that came up and talk about it. That will be really, that, that is the most conducive thing you can do for yourself. And so with that, I just want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode, being here for this, and also acknowledging the courage of anyone listening that is thinking about making this decision for themselves, that is thinking about showing up and protecting themselves in such a beautiful, courageous, and empowered way. Much, much respect to you and much, much love to you as well. And so if you've been enjoying any of my recent episodes, please feel free to leave a review. And if you know anyone that would resonate with this episode, please feel free to share it with them. And with that, I wish you a beautiful day and a beautiful evening. Peace.